0: Welcome to our podcast, We Got The Nod, a new and bold internet radio show designed for those who are on a conscious path of awakening.
1: We are here to uplift and inspire you, to share practical tools and techniques, to assist you stepping into your highest expression. As spirit having a human experience,
0: we will get raw and real sharing Kundalini yoga, music, poetry, and mantra, and so much more.
1: Let us open our hearts and minds to our true potential, making the impossible possible, the surreal real. Let's begin!
0: Satnam, this is Hari Ram from We Got the NAD, Internet Radio. Very happy to announce a brand new podcast in two parts. We had an amazing session with our dear friend and colleague Martha speaking on the important topic of addictions and ways that we come through. Ways that we heal from some very intense addictive behaviors. I think you're going to like this. The first episode, we will speak more about the problem and how we fell into addictive patterns, especially focusing on Martha's story. And then in the second part, episode two of this series, we will speak more to solutions, and of course, inviting our listeners to, to share their experience and to look at ways for those who are still struggling with addiction, ways to heal, transcend, and recover from these very serious issues. So, hope you enjoy it. Satnam. Satnam.
1: Satnam. Satnam.
0: Welcome to another edition of We Got the Nod, Internet Radio, with your hosts. Hari Ram.
1: Kirtan at the School of Nod.
0: And so we have a special guest with us today, Martha. Welcome, Martha.
1: Welcome, Martha. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Martha is, is now assisting us with uh, the production here at the School of Nod. We're really happy to have her on this podcast. We're going to speak about addictions. Mm-hmm. Are you, guys, are you guys up for it?
1: Yes!
0: <laughs> it's an important theme um, and something that you know, all of us have had to deal with perhaps dealing with right now or might in the future in your life or people close to you. Before we start, we have a talking stick for our purposes today we have a talking dagger an obsidian blade that we use often in the ceremony for talking circles to practice listening and mutual respect. And when we're speaking about addiction, I'm, I'm reminded of you know, AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, of course it's NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Some of you may, listeners may have, have had experience directly or indirectly. I've attended a few meetings in the past. The talking circle is a big part of that process.
1: Well, I just wanted to start by saying that um, yeah, this podcast was inspired by a previous podcast we did, episode mm-hmm. 18. Feel free to check it out. The uh, power of Nod and Kundalini activation. So there's a discussion that Hariram and I were having around the power of Nod and Kundalini and it's difficult to speak about that even without talking about addiction because in our own lives we've dealt with some addictive patterns and addictive tendencies and Kundalini is really what helps us blast through a lot of those attachments and continues to be a great tool for that and so um, that inspired us to speak more directly to this topic and Martha having some direct experience as well we thought we'd bring her in to give a different perspective so thank you for being here with us it's really an honor to be here and to talk about this
2: I think that it's so valuable to just raise awareness about what addiction actually is i guess everyone experiences it differently but i think because it's not talked about so many people experience addiction transferal where they they are addicted to one thing and then they quit mm-hmm. that and then they just become addicted to something else because they don't really understand what the addiction is, the tendency on a deeper level. So it needs to be talked about, and I'm really grateful to be doing that. Thank you.
0: No. Yeah, um, so many things come to mind. The challenge for me will be just to keep some focus, and so I'm glad uh, that both of you are here to help with that <laughs> process. As Martha was just speaking, I, I thought about a term, soft addiction. What does that mean? Soft addictions are, are often the more subtle attachments that we, we can ignore or just not notice in our lives um, as opposed to a hard addiction like heroin. When a person is addicted to heroin it's, it's kind of hard to hide that from yourself or your, your loved ones. People do still. You'll stick the needle between their toes you know, try to find places on their body where the, the marks aren't easily visible. It's kind of interesting from the perspective of the soft addiction, we look at a hard addiction, let's say heroin, certainly a very difficult one to, to, to kick, right? The person who's addicted to heroin or crack will often try to hide it from their family or their loved ones and friends despite the fact that it's virtually impossible to hide A heroin addiction.
2: I like how you describe it as hard and soft addictions. And what came to mind for me was some addictions are overtly destructive and some are covertly destructive. Mm -hmm. So, for example, as you said, heroin addiction is overtly destructive. I mean, Mm -hmm. no one would deny that being addicted to heroin is going to stop you from functioning and destroy Mm -hmm. your, your life. Whereas dependency is like workaholism, this is such a major addiction in the Western world. Yet people can function seemingly normally. Maybe it's secretly destroying their relationships and their
1: connections, but it's much much less obvious. Yes, very good example, and it's. Also, sometimes these soft addictions are more accepted by society. In fact, they may be promoted by society. You know the and idea celebrated. of yeah and celebrated. Work hard. You know, make the money, and so that can very easily drive someone into uh, workaholism. Coffee addiction too. <laughs> Coffee addiction very much promoted. <laughs> Alcohol and even just. Phones and technology. We live in this technological age. I feel like the technology is designed to give us certain hits of our brain to keep us on so that it, it continues to hold our attention so that the advertisements can get more money and it's almost designed to keep us contained and distracted and just to steal our focus and our attention. Okay. Awareness is key with technology to use it. I noticed that in myself.
2: I notice the
0: desire to pick up my phone first thing in the morning. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I wanted to comment on that because I've witnessed it with some friends, and children are friends, specifically uh, adolescent boys. I'm not sure how it is with girls so much. I know adolescent boys can get heavily addicted to games, and a lot of these games are extremely violent, too. Uh, The ones that I've seen, off the charts, the violence is unreal, and and how they make it so realistic too, like all the technology now, it's it's very disturbing. And I've seen them, it's hard to get them off. The parents have to be really (laughs) firm, otherwise, you know, the the children will stay on those games for days, maybe, (laughs) they won't even sleep, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. The other the other online addiction that comes to mind right away for, for all of us listening, especially men, is the pornography. Huge problem. They say it's the number one industry on, online. We could we could devote a whole <laughs> podcast to speaking about pornography because I I see it. It's more than just X rated sex. Again, for me, we look at for example. A lot of uh, popular videos, music videos. I don't even want to call it music. I don't want to call it art because it's disgusting. You know, a lot of stuff coming out of Hollywood. It's pornographic. It's often satanic pornographic, and and it makes me cringe and and breaks my heart. Because I know a lot of the. You look at the views. Just just go to YouTube and the views for some of these videos. They're in the billions. So there's hundreds of billions of views. And I know, right, that out of those hundreds, 100 billion views, a large percentage are teenagers watching these. and They watch them over and over again. We also want to talk about solutions. And one of the things that inspired us to invite Martha today is because she has been attending our Kundalini Yoga classes here in San Marcos for the last couple of months. And uh, so I wanted to invite you to speak s- some more about that and perhaps even specifically because I-, I can speak to this myself, coming out of addictive behavior in my teens, early twenties, I was smoking a lot of marijuana, using some other, uh, mostly, you know, natural plant medicines, like mushrooms, some LSD and... But, Mostly uh, hashish and, and marijuana, and so I needed to find something really powerful that that would help me kick that habit because like I said, otherwise we just move to another addiction. Finally discovering Kundalini Yoga was was a game-changer for me because I had previously uh, got into Hatha Yoga. But it wasn't doing enough for me. It wasn't giving me that same high, that same Breath and, and depth of oh, you know, understand, awareness and bliss that, uh, that I used to get from smoking pot. So I understand that you could call that a soft addiction again compared to, say, heroin or cocaine. But marijuana, I know marijuana addiction from my own experience. I wasn't heavy, heavy. but I, I've, known, I've had friends who were, smoked a lot, like wake and bake first thing in the morning, all day until bedtime. Right? They had to smoke up to go to sleep. It is. A, it can be very detrimental. I know a lot of pot smokers out there <laughs> argue with me. Um, but one thing I know, you can't. You can't do Kundalini yoga and have a, a pot habit. It just doesn't work. Um, and again, this is why Kundalini yoga was so critical, so essential for me in in kicking that that habit. I'd love to hear Martha's
1: story a bit mm-hmm. more about maybe. Mm -hmm. Some addictions that you've dealt with and how what helped you and how you've overcome. Before I answer that divine question, Mm -hmm. I want to respond to what
2: Harry Ram said about the power of Kundalini Yoga in terms of preventing one from resorting to avoidant Mm behaviours. I found Kundalini Yoga really helpful for what they call surfing the wave, in the addictions world a big part of addiction is believing that we're powerless believing that we're powerless to these urges and with kundalini yoga what it really gives me is this very quick sense of empowerment and especially combining it with saying satnam in my mind when the urge is creeping up and that anxiety is coming because it's the fear of like oh my god do I I need to give in to this urge I'm not in control it's getting more intense I think that is the perfect time to do kundalini yoga and the breath work and just ground yourself back down and conjure up that fire reminding yourself that You are your own guru, your own god. And I really wish that I had kundalini yoga as a tool, actually. Back in the day when I was breaking these addictions, I feel that it should be taught at all rehabs. Because they often teach meditation, mindfulness meditation. But the problem is when you're in that really anxious state... You can't meditate. You can't sit and just Mm -hmm. suddenly calm yourself down Mm -hmm. and meditate. You actually need something more powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what they tend to do, ironically, in these rehabs, and I've been to four different rehabs, so I've experienced the same... I see the patterns, I see the similarities in the treatments... They give you a Xanax or a Valium. (laughs) They give you another drug to to just dissolve that that urge, Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like it's a much more empowering approach to healing to use the fire energy Mm -hmm. instead of this Mm -hmm. numbing, dampening energy.
0: Well, they're treating the branch instead of the root, aren't they?
2: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. uh, on to my personal story. (laughs) Okay. So I first... Started using avoidant behaviors and noticed a susceptibility or a vulnerability to compulsions when I was about 12 years old and I was in boarding school. I was very anxious. And I started restricting my food because I felt like I was thrown into this world because boarding school was almost like a world in itself. It was a total mm-hmm. vortex, and I was thrown into this world.
0: Can I just ask, were you, were you, yeah. when were you first sent to boarding school? What age? Eleven. Eleven. I was
2: pretty young. Why, why
0: did your parents do that?
2: Well, we lived in the countryside, surrounded by fields, and there were some decent schools some okay schools but my parents wanted us i think there were two main reasons they they believed that they were giving us the best education possible yeah. by sending us really to a very elite boarding school it was like the the sister school to eton it was really prestigious in the uk there is so much value placed on status and so i think that was attractive to them and they, mm-hmm. they were just trying to give that to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the second reason was that their marriage was falling apart. And they actually mm-hmm. didn't want us at home mm-hmm. around that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was at a boarding school where we had Saturday school. It was very intense. It was an academic hothouse. Mm-hmm. So we had school from 9 until 6, Monday to Friday. And then Saturday, 9 until 1. Wow. I can see how you would be very anxious (sighs) in this situation as an 11 year old. There was no room for emotional processing, really. And for me, I went through a big trauma around that time in my family life. There was actually like Mm -hmm. ongoing trauma happening from Mm -hmm. the age of about 11. Mm -hmm. And I was not given the space to grieve, especially as my parents divorced when I was 14, 15. Mm and I lost my house very suddenly. We didn't get to say goodbye to our house. My sister and I just like went back to boarding school and then it was sold. Mm. And I didn't get to say goodbye to my cat. And there was just a lot of loss very quickly and very suddenly. And I didn't grieve any of that. Instead, I needed a distraction in order to continue studying. And so I somehow decided that dieting was a good solution. Mm. I think it gave me, because of the media and everything, it gave me this sense of achievement and value. When and this had
0: already started when you were twelve, is it?
2: Yes, when I was twelve, I trigger warning in case anyone is triggered by eating disorder talk but I remember I went it was like a cereal water diet and I did that for like two weeks when I was 12 and that was I was basically addicted to dieting very quickly Mm. and then within about a a year or two of just starving myself constantly that's when the binges started happening so I became bulimic and I was basically addicted to binging and vomiting and starving myself, from the age of 12 until, like, 20. I stopped my final year of school, and I went to hospital for the eating disorder. And then I redid my year of school at a big state sixth-form college, which was mixed. That was when I really experienced the addiction transferal for the first time. Mm -hmm. It had gone from... Eating disorder and physical self harm as well. I was very much addicted mm-hmm. to cutting myself to deal mm-hmm. with anger. Whenever I would feel with, feel anger, mm-hmm. I would just cut myself to feel some distraction and relief. Mm-hmm. And then, Is that something yeah, you learned? That's a really good question. The cutting I learned from a movie. Mm-hmm. I watched a film mm-hmm. and it's literally about a teenager who was going through everything I was going through and in the film I could see she had really bad depression and I could see all of these mirrors in our reality and she cut herself to deal with it so I thought that I should try, should try. <laughs> I actually had a best friend as well who I met through an internet chat room, it was a, they called them pro-Anna chat rooms so they're eating disorder Chat rooms where people who are sick come together and share photos of their starved body in order to compete with each other and motivate each other to starve themselves even more. And wow. you know, really, it's to find some sense of solidarity in mm. this chaos. But also, many people with eating disorders self harm, and people would post pictures of their cuts as well. Mm. It's a very, it's a very oh, wow. sick. Reality to have experienced.
0: WGTN Guatemala.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by the School of Nod, International School of Kundalini Yoga, Nod Yoga, Psychodrama, and more. Founded by the dynamic soulmate duo Hariram and Satkirtan, the School of Nod offers unique and transformative online programs. Sat Kirtan and Dam have between them 30 years experience leading classes, workshops, kirtan, and retreats. For more information, go to www.schoolofnad.com. And now, back to the podcast.
0: WGTN Guatemala
2: I'm really grateful to like understand the... I want to say, bizarreness of the human psyche, Mm. having come from a place where that all seemed normal to me and it seemed nourishing in a way, Mm. and to now be on the outside really observing that, but being able to empathize with the people who are in that,
1: it's very powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, because so many people go through this on different levels and for different addictions, Mm. be it porn, be it (laughs) eating disorders, drugs, what have you, satanic rituals. I mean all these things are coming out now, so we can have compassion Mm -hmm. for why people get caught in these Mm -hmm. loops.
2: Yeah, so after after that, in my early 20s, I got into fitness. And I wouldn't say that I was doing it out of a place of self-love. It was still mutilation, the way that I was working out. I kind of replaced the food addiction with an exercise addiction. In my 20s, that's when... My addiction switched from the body stuff to drugs. I was actually very anti-drugs before. I didn't even smoke marijuana. I was very afraid of losing control. Mm -hmm. And then I got into a relationship with a guy who was 10 years older than me. And he did a lot of drugs and went to a lot of raves. I realized that at the time it felt like the medicine that I needed... There was so much pain in my reality that this was a, an even stronger escape. So I got addicted to ketamine. This was the main drug that I would use, and, and it's a horse tranquilizer. Mm. And it's a dissociative drug. It's a tranquilizer. If you take so much of it, your physical body actually shuts down and you're completely paralyzed. Mm. But you're in a different world in your mind. And they call it K-holing when your body is shut down. So I, for a year of my life, in my free time, would just lie in bed K-holing. Basically wanting to be dead. That's Mm. what it was. It was the closest thing to being dead. And... I was very suicidal. I had two suicide attempts, one when I was 16 and then one when I was 21. I was always so desperate to be better and and get better and not suffer. I just did not know what to do until I discovered holistic healing (laughs) and everything changed.
1: Tell us about that. How did you come to holistic
2: healing? So I had gone into three mainstream rehabs for different addictions and I was giving up on myself. I was at the point where I just believed that there was something wrong with me because none of these treatments had helped me heal, really. And actually my body really saved me because I was at university for a second time and I started having migraines out of the blue. I had one migraine and then within a month I was having them every single day. I wasn't using drugs anymore. I had been sober. For almost two years, I had been doing the AA and the NA, Mm. but I hadn't actually done any of the clearing work. I hadn't done any of the the Mm. trauma release. And so there was all this stagnation still in my body, and I was having migraines every day. I mean, it was honestly the most torturous Mm. dark night of the soul that you could Mm. imagine, because it was like being isolated in a dark room constantly, because Mm. even light would Mm. trigger a very powerful symbol that even sunlight would just trigger this huge explosion in my head so that went on for nine months and I saw neurologists no one could help me I was offered 60 injections of Botox in my head as the only solution and so again I reached a point of suicidality and I didn't want to kill myself but I was just so done done and I told my parents I need some I need something. I was in love with someone and mm-hmm. I didn't have enough love for mm-hmm. myself to mm-hmm. want to fight for myself, but I loved this other person and I didn't want to kill myself because I didn't want to traumatize them. And I'm so grateful for that mm-hmm. and that got me to this holistic treatment center in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Because I tried the British system and it hadn't worked and it was also very expensive, so the cheaper option was actually going abroad. Yeah. I had actually been diagnosed as psychotic and put on antipsychotics and before t- Thailand? Before Thailand. Oh. For years when I oh. was nineteen I was put yeah. on antipsychotics. Yeah. I was put on <laughs> antidepressants, mood stabilizers, Xanax, Valium wow. every day.
0: So for a while you were taking how many different
2: I first went on prescription medication by a psychiatrist when I was 14, I was put on mm-hmm. the really strong antidepressants mm-hmm. from 14 until 16, mm-hmm. trying many different ones, none of them worked. Then I stopped medication, but then when I was 19, they, they said that they thought I was bipolar and had mm-hmm. ADHD. So I was put on Lamotrogen, which is a mood sti- stabilizer, Cotiapine, which is an antipsychotic, Xanax and Valium, mm-hmm. Uh, Ritalin for ADHD, mm-hmm. some sleeping pills. I was just given a lot. The, the dangerous thing about that is that I was so afraid to stop it mm-hmm. because once I had started it, I believed that I would get worse if I stopped mm-hmm. it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably a cycle that a lot of people
2: sure.
1: get stuck in. Mm-hmm. And did they have you believe that you'd be on them for the rest the of your life? life.
2: I was always told, as, in quotes, a bipolar person, they always said, you must not stop this medication. Mm -hmm. If you stop this medication, there's a risk that you could have a terrible bout of depression Mm -hmm. or mania and kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I just really believed that I was going to be on it forever. But then I got to this holistic treatment centre and I felt... This what if was starting to come to my mind because I was becoming so aware of the dampening effect of the antipsychotics in particular. It might dampen the, psycho- the psychotic symptoms, but it dampens everything. everything. <laughs> yeah, it dampens feel- the joy, the gratitude, the sadness, mm. it dampens everything.
0: Yeah, we, we have quite a bit of expertise, Trina, Sakirta, like and I, have, and I've been counseling clients now for three decades, and a lot of whom have. have Shown similar symptoms, patterns of self abuse or self loathing, if you forgive me for saying that. Because it's It's accurate. Well, yeah, yeah, because you mentioned self love. And and, I just want to kind of give some feedback on some of the things that we've heard already. Um, Maybe this can help us to go a little deeper, perhaps. With self loathing, of course, there's loneliness you mentioned, that's a huge issue. We're seeing what I've heard in the last nine months, it's, it's outrageous, right? The, the incidents of domestic abuse, of depression, all, all these things are going up. Suicide rates, we don't know how high they've gone up just since, since the pandemic started and the lockdowns and all of this nonsense. Separating us even more. The two of the quotes I've been using with, with clients, is one's from Yeshua, the master also known as Jesus, he said, If you bring forth that which is within you, it will save you. And if you do not bring forth that which is within you, it will destroy you. And I usually accompany that with Henry David Thoreau, who spent a lot of time, as I ended up doing too, in in the forest by a pond (laughs) alone. He said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. I love this quote. Especially because of that one word, one modifier, right near the end, quiet. Because the human condition is desperation. We could, we could define it as that, What we're here to, to heal, in a sense, individually and collectively. The problem is we keep it quiet. One of the reasons why people retreat, why this battle of loneliness, also fear of, of really exposing ourselves... And just simply say, yes, I am desperate. I'm desperate. I feel suicidal, even. But that fear of opening up is a huge obstacle.
2: Um, For me, as a teenager in school, it was very obvious that I was depressed. And I lost all of my friends very quickly. I had maybe, like, one or two close friends. And everyone else in the whole year, I believe, were pretty scared of me, to be honest. They were very scared of my darkness. And... Mm. I just have so many memories of being trapped in boarding school essentially and being in these communal spaces. I have a very vivid memory of being in the the gymnasium area and there were loads of benches, big long benches and I would just always be sitting by myself on one of these benches and I remember The dilemma that I have in my mind was, should I sit in the middle of the bench? Should I sit on the edge of the bench? Mm -hmm. Like, which makes me Mm -hmm. look less like a loner? Mm -hmm. Where will I be more invisible? Mm -hmm. And I just remember spending a lot of my teenage Mm -hmm. years wanting to disappear, wanting to be invisible. Mm -hmm. And my peers, I perceived that I couldn't show them any more of my darkness. I tried so hard to hide it because Mm -hmm. of fear of being further rejected. Mm -hmm. So yeah a big part of my healing was being able to just talk authentically and share my authentic truths. Actually in my early healing after I had been to the treatment center and I started my travels I started a YouTube channel where I shared very openly about my journey and I talked a lot about depression and anxiety and I really got deep and dark about it and Mm -hmm. got a lot of really positive, grateful responses from people just saying, I'm going through this too, and it's so good Mm -hmm. to not feel Mm -hmm. like such Mm -hmm. a freak and not feel alone. Yeah, well, it's not just
0: sharing our darkness, our fears and nightmares. When we really start to open up, then then it becomes almost addictive. We want to share more, and then other people respond. Because they can relate, it expands. We've you, seen it so many times, uh, some of the best counselors are like, like you, they, they have a story much like yours, you know, suicide attempts, the whole nine yards, they've been through it. In fact, I, my feeling is that any therapist that's really worth their salt has had to go, have gone through it in their own life. You can't learn this in a book yeah. or a movie.
1: Mm-mm. I agree. Yeah, it's the greatest qualifier. No piece of Mm paper or degree is going to give you what you've been through. Yeah, no, it's true. You don't know unless you've
0: been there. Well, that was a fascinating conversation, wasn't it? We will come back soon with the second part of this conversation with Martha. So please stay tuned as we'll return to speak more about solutions and moving forward with recovery and healing from addictive patterns. Thank you again. Satnam.
1: We thank you for tuning in.
0: Please make sure to subscribe so as not to miss a single episode.
1: We depend on you, our listeners, to build and expand our audience, to share the nod.
0: So, if you like what you hear, please do not hesitate to share with your friends, family, and community. Sat now!